Well, if you have your Bible, open it up to John chapter 12. Brother Vance, thank you as always for leading us in music. And uh, even though we request our own hymns, I tell you what, the truth and the gospel that we sing about is always so refreshing to me. John chapter 12. You know what? We've got some Christmas lights that are. This thing is pretty cool. Watch that. <laughs> it looks like a car alarm. I almost expect it to go beep, beep whenever I do that, but it doesn't. I want to talk to you tonight about uh, what it means to glorify God, uh, what it means to bring Him glory. Sometimes uh, folks have a hard time understanding what this idea of God's glory means. We're going to look at that as we look at John chapter 12, verses 27 through 36. But simply put, bringing God glory, to glorify God means that we live in such a way that He is heard, he is known through our very life. We Essentially, everything we do is an act of worship to God. The greatest example we have ever been given of a human glorifying God the Father was Jesus Christ. I mean, I mean, the, I mean he was an A-plus student, if you could say that. Uh, of course, yes, we, he was fully God, but he was also fully human, and he set the example uh, for us of what it looks like to glorify God with our life. And this is what our scripture we're going to look at tonight in the Gospel of John. We will continue on this course of looking at the Gospel of John until we're completely done with it. But looking at verses 27 through 36 tonight, let's read together. Verse 27, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. The people answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Verse 35, Then Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for your presence in this place. Father, I pray that each and every one of us would grow because of the preaching of your word, because of your Holy Spirit's presence and his speaking to us and changing us from the inside out transforming us to look more and more like you. And it's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, the first question we might ask is, why was Jesus troubled? Verse 36, that's, or verse 27, I mean, that's how he started. He says, my soul is troubled. Well, it's because he knew the hour was coming, simply put. He knew the hour of his death was soon at hand. We had just looked at a few weeks ago his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He's being uh, celebrated and he comes in on that donkey and 
And even in the midst of that, there's a lot of unbelief. There's a lot of turmoil. Uh, there are those that are plotting his death. There are those that are even rejecting him at that moment. And he knows that the hour is soon coming. You know, we sing at this time of year a song, Mary, Did You Know? We don't have to doubt that Jesus also knew the purpose for his life. He knew that everything was coming to a point, and that point was this, the cross at Calvary. This is why this hour has come, and he, he knew that was the purpose for his coming, and so Jesus does not ask for a stay of execution. He doesn't ask for the Father to stay the hand of that cross coming, and instead, this is his request, Father, glorify your name. I wonder how many of us would pray in a similar fashion. We all face turmoil in our life. We all face moments of darkness, as I alluded to this morning as well. Life gets us down. Life happens. Troubles occur. It, it happens all the time to every single one of us. And though we are admittedly troubled in our situation, should our prayer be, God, rescue me from this? Or should our prayer be like the Lord, Father, glorify your name? In the midst of our trouble, in the midst of our darkness, in the midst of knowing perhaps what is coming down the line for us, would we not better pray, Father, glorify your name, like Jesus did? And that's hard because we're led to believe that everything is about us. We're led to believe that it's, it's all about making us happy. Uh, we live in a world where we're uh, taught this kind of mantra of, you know, make yourself happy. But that's not what Jesus was about. And as followers of Jesus, that's not what we are to be about. It's not about us. Yes, he came and died on a cross for our salvation. And that part was for us. But his life, the glory of God, it's not about us. It's about God's glory. Father, glorify your name. Why do I say it's not about us? Because of what happens next. As soon as Jesus makes this statement, Father, glorify your name, did you catch what happened next? It says a voice came from heaven. It's the voice of God. And the voice of God says, I have glorified it, and I'm going to glorify it again. And we need to get this thought from this scripture. God is focused in with laser-like precision on one thing, glorifying his name. Does he love us? Yes, but that brings glory to his name. Did his son die on the cross for our salvation? Yes, but that brought glory to his name. Everything he does is a reflection back to him and glorifying his name. And we need to understand that. Our prayer should be like Jesus and asking, Lord, can you glorify your name through my circumstance, through my situation, and hear his, hear his response, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. He says, I have glorified it. That's past tense, by the way. What is the Lord referring to when he says from the heavens, I have glorified it? Well, there's a lot of things we could point at and say, well, you know, God was glorified in this, and God was glorified in that. Remember, Jesus had already fed the 5,000, and then the 4,000, God was certainly glorified in that. Jesus had already raised Lazarus from the dead, God was certainly glorified in that. So many instances in just the life of Jesus where God 
has been glorified, where the Father is glorified. You know, every time he would do this, Jesus, well, not every time, but many times, Jesus would say something to the effect, I only do what the Father leads me to do. I only teach what the Father leads me to teach. Everything was a reflection back to the Father. But because it is Christmas season, my mind is drawn to a, a scene in the Scriptures. That scene in the field with the shepherds. And the angel shows up and he makes this grand announcement to the shepherds. And then quickly after that, it says they were surrounded by a host of angels. Do you remember the first thing that came out of that host of angels' mouth? was this, glory to God in the highest. Now, why would this moment be about bringing glory to God? Well, because Jesus is God. Jesus' birth perhaps brings glory to God, absolutely. The birth of a child, I mean any child, should always be a time of reflecting back the glory of God. I believe every birth of a child is a miracle and a, a thing that we should say, give God the glory for, His very goodness to humanity. Is it possible, though, that God's glory at this moment is all about His will being done? Remember what they go on to say, peace on earth, good will to men. The good will was that God was beginning a process that would provide a way of salvation through this little baby in a manger. Glory to God in the highest. He has sent His Son, and His Son will die on a cross. Looking forward, the Lord knew that men would murder this child for their own sake, and yet this was His will, the will of God. And there is much glory to be given to the Father for this very reason, that His will said, my son will die, and here he is born in a manger. The glory to God in the highest. Is it not also possible that we can see the negative outcome of a situation and yet still proclaim and pray that God would be glorified in the midst of our situation. I know that's how I began, but I want you to consider whatever it is that you are going through. You know, I started off saying that life can be dark, life can be troublesome, we can have a lot of tribulation. That's how I started this evening off. I want us to go back to that, though. I want you to consider whatever it is you are going through. And if it's really bad, then I want, you to, I want to ask you this question. If you knew the pain you have experienced and yet knew how much God would be glorified through your pain, would you negate the whole situation just so your pain could be eased? Or would you be willing to say, I will take the pain for the glory of God? You see, that's what's happening here. Jesus knows the pain he will face. And though that pain brings him anguish, I am troubled, he says. And we hear him say in the Garden of Gethsemane, I am troubled. And yet he does not negate the circumstance, yet he does not say, take this away from me. Instead he says, thy will be done. Why? So that God can be glorified. But if Jesus can hang on, and he does, then God says, I will glorify it again. How is God going to glorify Himself again in this situation? In this scripture, I want to give you four ways that God's name will be glorified through the work of Jesus on the cross. And I want to stress that this is all about Jesus' work on the cross. 
He has glorified it up to this point, and He will glorify it again. Remember, that's what God the Father says down from heaven. I will glorify it again. He's going to do it on the work of the cross. And here in the Scripture, I want to give you just four points that the underlying idea is these four points all uh, are, are because of the cross of Christ. The first one is this, verse 31. He says, the judgment of this world. Now is the judgment of this world. And this may seem counterintuitive, right? I mean, we generally think that God is glorified only in those soft, tender moments of the Savior. Oh, look at the little baby born in the manger, and God is glorified in that. But God is glorified and will be glorified in all things that He does, including judgment. Perhaps especially in the judgment of this world. But did you notice when this would happen? Verse 31 starts with this word, and it is there now. Now is the judgment of this world. As in now. As in the Greek translates right now. We tend to think of this as an end of the world event. The judgment of the world is coming. You know, that great white throne judgment. But judgment begins not at the end times, it begins at the cross. The cross is that proverbial line drawn in the sand that says either you believe in the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you be saved by His sacrifice, or you deny it, or you reject it. You try to save yourself, and you will pass through and have the judgment of God on you. If you reject Jesus, His crucifixion and resurrection, then the judgment of God sits on you right now. Whatever you do with the cross of Christ, the judgment of God is on you. This morning I stated God does not reveal Himself in anything but His Word and His Son. So the moment that Jesus made Himself known, the moment He was put on the cross, it became the way of salvation. God's revelation to mankind was complete, and the door of judgment was swung wide open. We are, right now, responsible for what we do with Jesus Christ. To delay any longer is to heap judgment upon ourselves, right now, right now. Number two, he says, that same verse, the enemy will be cast out. He says, the ruler of this world will be cast out. Let me just tell you real quick, the ruler of this world... He is referring to the enemy, the adversary, Satan, the devil, whatever name you'd like to give to him. Let me ask you, what is your favorite Old Testament prophecy that Jesus fulfilled? I know I'm putting you on the spot. Anybody want to just throw one out? Your favorite Old Testament prophecy that Jesus fulfilled? Anybody? His birth, okay. Anybody else? That's all right. I know I put you on the spot. You didn't know this was going to be group participation. Here's mine. It comes from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he will bruise your head, and you will bruise his heel. It's a prophecy where, Jesus is, or where God the Father is talking to that serpent right after the great fall, the temptation of Adam and Eve. And in response, this is what God says. Her seed will crush, will bruise your head. Paul states in Romans 16, 20, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. 
we need to understand that our victory over the evil one is only because of his victory, his victory over the evil one. Our victory over the evil one is only because of his victory over the evil one. However, he was cast out. How is that possible? Don't we still see the effect of Satan in the world today? I mean, this must be the case. He's still here. I mean, the New Testament gives us ways in dealing with him. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 about some spiritual armor. You know, the purpose of that spiritual armor is to protect us against the wiles of the devil, the schemes, the plans, the, the temptations, the arrows, if you will. James instructs us that we need to resist the devil and he will flee. So was he really cast out and defeated at the cross? Yes, but not finally. You see, his casting out is his casting out in the lives of those who surrender to Jesus as Lord and Savior. He is cast out of my life, not because of me, but because of the power of God through Jesus Christ on that cross. He is cast out of your life when you submit to him as Lord and Savior. He flees, not because of us, but because of God. You see the rest of that verse in James? It's not just resist the devil and he will flee. It says, submit to God. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he must flee. So yes, he was really cast out. The accuser who constantly attacks humanity no longer has claim on our lives if we surrender to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Hear what I'm saying. If you are saved, Satan has no claim on you. But if you are lost, you are still at danger of being prey to that lion, as Peter calls him. You are still in danger, and he has not been cast out. Because Jesus bore our sin on the cross, Satan has no weapon against us. As I said this morning, that baby born in the manger was a ticking time bomb of destruction that went off when Jesus was lifted high on the cross. And by being lifted high on the cross, Jesus was able to be, our number three point here, draw all people to himself. Verse 32. Now I know about you, but when Jesus says this in verse 32, that he will draw all people to himself, I have a hard time understanding exactly what he's saying at first. Because if he says, I draw all people to myself, I'm thinking that means everybody's going to be saved, right? Why are all these lost people around? Why does he say this if not all the people in this world are going to be saved? They all understood him to be saying that he would be put on the cross, by the way. Let me just make sure you understand that. When he says this, that he will be lifted up, he says, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, they all understood that he was saying he was going to be crucified. They understood that he was saying that he would be taking the cross and this was a stumbling block to their belief. And I know I've talked about their willful unbelief, but understand that their willful unbelief had a lot to do with being confused by what Jesus taught, by what they understood about the Messiah. Because understand, th this is what they reply. They said, uh, um, the people answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever, and how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? He said this signifying what kind of death he would die. They had a hard time understanding this because they understood that the Messiah would not die. 
And here Jesus is saying, I will be lifted up. I am taking the cross. I will be put on the cross. I'm going to be crucified. And this misunderstanding or this not being able to understand was a stumbling block to their belief. It was a willful unbelief, but it was unbelief nevertheless. You know, I don't understand why the earth revolves. Listen, I know it's gravity and all these different physical things that go on in the the atmosphere and in the solar system. Yes, I've heard the reasons, but I don't understand it. But that doesn't keep me from believing it. I've never been to the moon. Never been to the moon. But that doesn't keep me from believing that it's there. You know, there's a, there's a whole conspiracy out there that says that those astronauts didn't l- land on the moon, that the whole thing was shot in a studio somewhere and uh, was produced on film, that they never really went to the moon. I don't believe that. I believe they really went to the moon. But I don't know any of those guys that went to the moon. Listen, my ignorance of a situation doesn't keep me from believing in something. My willfulness to believe or not to believe is what keeps me from believing in something. Their their unwillingness to to believe had more to do with their hard-heartedness. Verse 29, God had literally spoken from the heavens. And yet, look what they say. People who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. That's willful unbelief. They knew this voice. They probably knew who the voice belonged to. In fact, Jesus, I mean, it's not that it was unintelligible because Jesus even says, this voice came not for me but for you. I don't need my faith strengthened. You do. It's a willful unbelief. And yet what Jesus says is, because of the cross, if I am lifted up, all people will be drawn to him. I want to get back to this point. Will everyone be saved? Listen, all is not all, as in every single person on earth, though that would be nice. I mean, it would be nice to, nice to believe that every single person is going to turn their life to Jesus. They're going to recognize their sin. They're going to confess and repent and believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. But what I, I, I see this is, is this is a, rele- a reference to all types of people. It, it, when you read it in that kind of context, uh, that makes a whole lot more sense. If I'm lifted up from this earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. Remember this morning I told you when Jesus was about eight days old, they took him to this guy named Simeon. What did Simeon say? He said a lot of neat things about Jesus. But specifically, he said, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Jesus being lifted up on the cross drew all the nations to him. One of the things that people like to point out sometimes is at this point in time in history, Israel was kind of a crossroads in the, in the, in the area. There were many different cultures and nations that would go through Israel to get from Africa up to the European and to the Eastern, Asia, uh, uh, Eastern European and to the Asian Minor and, and, and the, the Eastern regions. Uh, Jerusalem was kind of a crossroads along the way. All the worlds would see the Savior being crucified. All peoples will be drawn to my name. It's no longer going to be a Jewish only club, guys, but it's going to be for all people. 
And as soon as this is over and Jesus ascends to heaven, what do we soon see happening? The belief and conversion of the Gentiles to faith in Christ. What a great glorification of God the Father. When God's people throw off the bondage of racism and prejudice and recognize that God loves all the children of the world, He is glorified. He will draw all peoples to Himself. You know, that's still true today. If we will lift Him up, He will draw all peoples to Himself. Finally, number four, let me just sum it up by saying this. God is glorified through Jesus being the light. Through Jesus being the light. And I know this morning the whole thing was about being light. It's a, it's a point that relates to that morning's, this morning's message. Jesus was sent to be light in the darkness of earth. I hope you all understood that this morning's message was not about Christmas lights. If you don't have Christmas lights on your house, that doesn't say anything about your Christmas spirit or your belief in Jesus Christ. I was just trying to be a little bit silly. I do not think it reflects your belief in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Please hear me loud and clear. And I think I made that point a couple of times, but just in case that is lingering. The Christmas lights I am most concerned with is the light of Christ in your life as Lord and Savior. And here is the great beauty and glorification of God in the Scripture. That if we believe in the light, that is Jesus Christ, what does He say? Looking there again at verse 36. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. The most amazing thing is that we become little lights just like Christ is the light. We don't just see the light of Jesus or get to talk about the light of Jesus. We actually become the light like our Lord is the light. We're able to walk in the light and be in the light. And note what he says. Those who walk in darkness, they don't know where they are going. They're like somebody trying to find their way in a dark house without any light. Those who walk in darkness do not know where they are going. So doesn't that mean the opposite is true? If I walk in the light, then what? I know where I am going. Now, I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what next month holds. But I know what my eternity holds. And that is eternal life in heaven through that precious gift of Jesus Christ. Those who walk in darkness do not know where they are going. Those who walk in the light will know where they are going. There's a lot of questions on this side of eternity. I don't have the answers to them. I don't have the understanding of them. But this one thing I have an answer to. I know where my salvation is, and it is in the eternal name of Jesus Christ and God the Father. Being a little light of the big light means that with great confidence, I know not what tomorrow holds, what does that song say? But who holds tomorrow? And the world needs to see this confidence in us. They need to hear the reason for our hope, which brings me back right where I started. In the midst of your trial, in the midst of whatever darkness you're facing in your life, can God be glorified? Yes, absolutely. In us and through us, God can be glorified. Did you know all around us, there are all kinds of waves, frequencies, sound waves, things of like that. These 
waves are frequencies, frequencies that have different bandwidths to them. Because these waves are there, you're able to talk on your cell phone, no matter where you're at, well, almost no matter where you're at. You're able to, to check your email on your phone if you want. You're able to, to uh, uh, listen to the radio in your car because of these frequencies that are all around. They're here right now, if you will, these frequencies. In fact, you are able to watch TV in your house, whether you use an antenna or a dish or even cable. You're able to do that in the long run because of these frequencies in the air. That television makes visible the invisible. That television brings into your life in living color, visually, what you would never have any hope of seeing. You know, God is invisible. The Bible says no man has ever seen God, that He is spirit. Yet it also says He is everywhere, all the time, everywhere. The earth is thick with His presence. I believe that. I believe that He is here at this moment. Yet He is invisible. And how can the invisible be made visual? Well, folks, you are the television set of God's glory. When we submit to Him and let Him use our lives, those who watch us get a visual of the invisible. They visibly see what God is doing in our life. In living color, they get to see what a life submitted to Jesus looks like. Don't change the channel. Don't turn it off. Don't go to commercial. There is no commercial, by the way, when we are living for Jesus. And whether you realize it or not, the world is watching you. They want to see how you respond. They want to see how you react. And in the end, they want to see who are they going to glorify. They don't use that word. They don't say, who is he going to glorify? But that's what they want to know. What are they going to do in this situation? How are they going to respond? Do they really have faith that God is good? I want to see. And I hope this Christmas that we will see what an incredible mercy it is that the Lord would glorify Himself through His Son. And if we have faith in Him, He would likewise glorify Himself in us. What an incredible gift it is that God would glorify Himself through us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank You so much for that gift the gift of Jesus Christ coming in that manger, being, being lifted up on that cross, the gift of salvation when we trust in you as Lord and Savior. But then, Lord, also that wonderful gift of you using us. Who am I that you would use me? And yet, if I submit to you, if I submit to you, you will use me way that glorifies yourself. I check that, Lord. That's not right. It seems to me your word teaches you'll use me to glorify yourself whether I submit to you or not. Father, I pray that I would just do it willingly, though. I would pray I would just come alongside, tune myself into you like that television needs to tune in to the right channel. Lord, may you be glorified in us this evening. As we respond in a song of response, Father, in your name we pray, amen. Would you sing?